Episode 89, Dan Lappin. Hey, it's Nikki Llewellyn and you're on Gut Plus Science. This podcast is on a mission to increase engagement at work. And on this show, we equip CEOs and people first leaders of all levels to make impact. Let's get to it. Hey, Gut Plus Science listeners, we've all experienced toxic leaders in some form or fashion, and some of you may have this experience right now. Today's episode dives into the topic of toxic leadership and how to navigate it best with someone who is passionate about making toxic leadership turnarounds or comebacks. Dan Lappin is the president and CEO of Lappin 180. He's an international speaker, member of the Forbes Coaches Council, and is a podcaster himself. So this will be good. Okay, I'm ready to dive in. Dan, let's first have you kick off with a couple of your favorite experiences in working alongside people during their ahas or their ground zero moments, if you will. Probably one of my favorite groundbreaking moments um, happened a few years ago. The gentleman's name was Brian, and he happened to be in sales, but he was in a very high performance position. So he'd been in sales for about 10 years. And he, one of those individuals who was a relationship driven person. So he could go and meet anybody at any walk of life and he could align and find commonalities with them. He was just really skilled at that and he enjoyed people, but he was running into some problems growing his business. So we had to dissect what was happening. And what was happening was he was listening to what we call more of this thing called a sales voice, which is, you know, how do I, get someone to see my value? How do I get someone to want to do business with me? Or how do I get someone to share their pain so I can solve it for them? And then, you know, how do I get second meetings or a chance to respond to the RFP? That was his focus. So every time he would show up for a meeting, he was so focused on that, an outcome, that that's all he would gravitate towards. So all of his questions would gravitate toward it. All of his listening would gravitate toward it. And what was happening was he wasn't asking good questions because he was so in tune and so focused on, I need to get the second meeting or I need to make sure that they like me or that they see my value. And he didn't want to screw it up. So in his mind, when he would go and say to himself, all right, I need to ask this question, the voice in his head would say, don't ask that. What if you screw it up? Then the person's not going to like you you might upset them. And then you're not going to get a chance to prove your value or have that second meeting. So what he found is he'd worked so hard to get these meetings. And he did. When he got into the meeting, he was so scared of doing something stupid or saying something stupid. What he was doing was he was actually limiting the conversation and the experience that the prospects were having with him. So we did a little what we call a a walk around. Uh, We were in Dallas. And we did a little walk around the block and we talked about what's his innate role and responsibility, you know, and what does he as an advisor, what does he owe his prospects, like truly owe them as an advisor. And through that conversation, he realized he owed candidness. He owned asking good, meaningful, and sometimes tough questions. And what he also realized is that he owed listening to his prospects without any biases. So when he would listen to his prospects beforehand, his bias was, all right, where is this going to lead the conversation? Or his bias was, how is this going to help me get a second meeting with him? And so he would only listen for things he wanted to hear. So we were able to start talking about 
what was the conversation as an advisor really supposed to be like with his prospects? So long and the short, and here's, here's the part of the story I enjoy. He goes and he sees the CFO of a large manufacturing company. And he sits down with the CFO and they have about a 20 minute conversation. And about 20 minutes in, the CFO says, let's, let's do a plant tour. I'll take you on a tour of the plant. In Brian's head, he's all excited because he's thinking, all right, this is great. This guy must like me. He's going to spend this extra time with me. So they start doing this tour and Brian realizes really quickly, wait a minute, this is not the CFO's first rodeo here. He does these tours a lot. It was so well scripted. Then this is where Brian's aha moment kicked in. The little voice inside his head, the one that had the sales mindset about making a sale and pursuing a sale was saying, all right, just go through the tour. He probably likes you. He'll probably at least give you a second meeting. In that second meeting, you can share your expertise or bring a few of your resources in to help you share your expertise and prove to him why he should do business with you. Then he had this other mindset, this other voice starting to kick in, more of this advisory mindset. And the advisory mindset was, wait a minute, you don't know anything about his business other than he's sharing with you. You came here to determine how and if you can help him. You need to ask questions so you can determine that objectively. Just going along with the tour doesn't help this guy at all. You need to ask him meaningful questions to get him thinking about his business. Then the sales voice kicks in, Nikki, and says, well, wait a minute. Don't screw it up. You're probably going to get a second meeting. Don't ask anything stupid. And then the advisor voice kicks in and says, nope, you have to. This is your role. This is your responsibility. What do you have to lose? You know more than likely you may get a second meeting. You may not, but he's not going to be that interested. And if you do get the second meeting, you're not even going to know why he wanted the second meeting. So Brian asked the question. He says, can you tell me what particular investment in the plant are you most proud of? Which one do you feel like gave you guys the biggest payoff? And there was a long silence. And during that long silence, Nikki, Brian's sales voice kicks in and says, I told you, you screwed it up. You've upset him. He's not going to give you the meeting now. Finally, after about two or three seconds, the CFO says, that's a great question, Brian. Let's go to a different part of the plant. I want to show you something. And they went and had a completely different conversation in a completely different area of the plant. On the way out, the CFO turns to Brian and says, hey, Brian, I really enjoyed the meeting today. I'd like to meet again and get a better idea of what you do and how your business may be able to help us. Brian's sales voice kicks in again and says right away, okay, great. Set the meeting before he changes his mind. Brian's newfound confidence in his advisor voice says, wait a minute. Let's find out what's on his mind first. So Brian asked him, can you share what's on your mind? What makes you want to have a second meeting? I share that story, Nikki, because whether it's in leadership or whether it's in sales or whether it's being a parent, we've got these dual voices that go back and forth on us. And I think we have to learn how to sometimes quiet the fearful voice. In this case, it was the sales voice. And we have to learn to encourage or empower the more powerful voice inside us. In this case, it was for Brian, the advisor voice. And that's one of my favorite stories. I love that we kicked off with that story. And I want to just start off by challenging our listeners to really just tap into themselves for a second and identify 
What is that one thing that rises to the top that you know is a self-limitation? Dan, let's talk about fighting our inner self-limitations. Where do these come from? I don't know for everybody. They could be nurtured. They could be nature, but they're there and they do hold us back and we have to become self-aware or conscious of them if we're going to be able to move away from them and start listening to the other voices that we have, which are far more empowering. Exactly. So let's kind of go down this path of how do we fight our self-limitations? Number one, awareness. What's next? Number two is reminding ourselves, and this is a big one for all of us, all right? And it's reminding ourselves, what can we truly control? We get so hung up on things that we can't control. We get hung up on other people's responses or how we anticipate they're going to respond. Like in Brian's example, he was hung up on how he anticipated or assumed the CFO might respond. And because he got hung up on that, he was so close to pulling back on that one question that truly changed the trajectory and the energy of his conversation. So learning that we can only control ourselves and coming to terms with that is very important and very enlightening. We cannot control how someone's going to respond, how a peer is going to respond, how a family member is going to respond. We can't control their actions but we can control ourselves and how we decide to interpret what's being thrown at us and how we decide to respond to whatever's being thrown at us. We all have superpowers. We all have these strengths within us that are incredible. And so many people don't live them, you know, they don't tap into them. I'm curious from your perspective, Dan, why don't we embrace our superpowers many times? I think it's a combination of fearful of what could happen because what could ever happen is change. You know, we as human beings, we don't like change. You know, we tend to overestimate what we have in place and what we currently do. And we tend to underestimate what we could gain by doing something different. And we do that innately and it keeps us safe because if we can control an experience, we can give ourselves the illusion of being safe. And so I think people hold back a lot because, you know, they don't know how to just let go of what they can't control. And I've been there. And I think the second thing is we make a lot of assumptions. So we make a lot of assumptions on how people or how circumstances or how events might unfold. And we tend to think toward the negative. We did some research recently that, you know, we as human beings have 50 to 70,000 thoughts every day. It's 50 to 70,000 thoughts every day. Now, what's ironic is research has estimated that 80% of those 50 to 70,000 thoughts, Nikki, are negative. So if we just go on the low end, according to the research, we're having 40,000 potentially negative thoughts every single day of self-doubt, talking ourselves out of something, and then out of those 80%, those negative thoughts, 95% of those are, are reoccurring. So it's almost like there's a hard wire sometimes there for all of us. So learning how not to make assumptions, and there's a great book out there called The Four Agreements. And one of the agreements is not to make assumptions because once we start making assumptions on a situation, whether it's a conversation with a prospect, a conversation with a colleague, 
a conversation with a peer, a conversation with someone who works for us or a family member. Once we start making assumptions, we change the narrative. And once we change the narrative of what we anticipate the conversation to be, that's when we typically start pulling back. Well, The Four Agreements is truly my favorite book of all time. Don Miguel Ruiz wrote that incredible book. It is incredible. Dan, I know you get fired up about helping people rewire and really breaking down these walls and, and unlocking the true being inside so that they can show up as their best self. And many times for you, that translates into a selling environment or selling results. You know, Daniel Pink said it best in his book, To Sell is Human. And so, Dan, take us into your world as far as you talked about how important it is for you to help people truly strip their ego through the process of unlocking their best self and getting rid of, rid of limitations? What do you mean by stripping our ego? Well, it's all about intent. So, you know, intent is what's the intent of our interaction? And in sales, it's, it's very straightforward for many. The intent of their interaction with a prospect or a client is typically to try to sell them something, is to help that prospect see the value of what they offer. That's the salesperson's intent. And so because that salesperson has that intent, all of their actions follow or all of their questions follow that intent. They will only ask questions that align with making the sale. They will only take actions that align with making that sale. But if you change someone's intent, how they think, actions change and results change. So if I give an example on the sales example again, if my intent moves from how do I make the sale or how do I get them to see my value and my intent can go to determining how and if I can help this person and are they even ready, that's going to change the dynamic of my conversation right away. And when I change my intent, I'm empowering myself because I know that my intent serves the prospect. How and if I can help them and are they ready? And because my intent serves the prospect, I feel that freedom. It's like I can take the handcuffs off and realize I need to ask this question because it serves the prospect. I have to ask them this because I need to help them determine, is this worth their time? Is this something they should really spend their time on? So overcoming some self-doubt, overcoming some angst and things like that, you have to first start changing your thinking. In leadership, if my goal is to truly help the person, and I know that in order to help this person, I have to help this person see things for what they are. I have to help this person become more self-aware, more conscious. What that means is I have to let my intent guide me. So if I have to ask a tough question, I have to remind myself, I have to ask this question, even though it's going to make this individual uncomfortable. The results, though, will be they might become more self-aware of what they're doing. They might be able to take more ownership in a game plan to change what they're doing. But my question helps them come to that conclusion on their own. I, I could give an example. I always share this with some audiences about my, my, my son. My son's 16 and a half. He tried out for a local high school soccer team two years ago as a freshman. And he'd been playing soccer his entire life. He didn't make the team. And he was devastated. And he did not see that happening. He had trained and everything, but it's such a competitive environment. 
And so I knew I had to sit him down because he was starting going to go down this road of, well, it's not my fault. And he was starting to give excuses, which was his natural defense mechanism. I think that we see that in our teammates sometimes too, in, in the business world. Some people have a natural defense mechanism to give excuses. And so my son started to give excuses because it was just easier for him to cope with whatever the reality was of not making the team, that disappointment. And he started blaming the coach and talking about not playing anymore. And I knew as a dad, this is where I was going to have to earn my stripes. I couldn't go into a conversation with my son and say, hey, you can't think that way. Or, hey, you have to think this way. Because he's 16 and a half. At the time, he was maybe 14 and a half. You know, he was, he was going to go in one ear, out the other ear. Secondly, he wasn't going to take any ownership because I was the one dictating the terms of how he should think. He wasn't going to take ownership. So instead, my intent had to be, I need to help my son see what his options are. I need to help him see he has alternatives. Now, there might be a negative alternative and there could be a positive alternative. Let me ask him questions so he can come to that conclusion on his own and take ownership of the outcome. And sure enough, we went through a conversation, Nikki, and he came back to me uh, about two days later and he said he was going to quit soccer. He was still going to play academy soccer, but he gave a really good reason why. He says, I've always wanted to run. I want to do cross country and track and I want to sign up for cross country and all that and track. And ever since then, he's been doing both and he's been very, very happy. But he had to come to that conclusion on his own. That's the power of changing our thinking. When we change our thinking about how do I help this person see if this is something worth their time or how do I help this person see their blind spots and help them ask questions, I ask them questions to help them see what their alternatives are. What we're doing is we're becoming true advisors or true leaders. We're not dictating the terms of the conversation. What we're doing is we're helping the other person come to conclusions on their own. And sometimes they're tough conclusions but the cool thing is that, that the individual owns them because they came up with them. That is some excellence in leadership right there. Dan, you know why many don't overcome self-limitations or embrace superpowers in daily life? It just hit me. It's a lot of work. Like this is not a listen to a podcast, read a book. Like you know, this, is, this is a lot of work. How often do we have to work on this? Oh, Nikki, that's such a good question because it is. It's, it's so much work. We all have natural instincts. And so those instincts come from our thinking. So again, we have to learn how to pause. We have to learn how to slow down. Like for instance, anytime a sales professional walks into a prospect meeting and that prospect turns to the professional and says, hey, just want to let you know, you know, we feel like we're outgrowing our current technology or we feel like we're outgrowing our current partner. For most people, you know, the light bulbs go off, ding, 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 right? Hey, this is great. This is an opportunity. I can now share my expertise. They just told me they're outgrowing their current partner. That's a sales mindset, as I referred to earlier. And we all need to learn how to slow down and take a deep breath, all right? And what we call is, you know, we say detach from an outcome so that we can be a better advisor or a better leader. So in this sales example, Nikki, that I just shared, you know, the, instead of jumping to selling in that moment, an advisor, once they've detached from an outcome and they've refused the urge to label 
what the prospect just said is great, it puts us back into learning mode as human beings where we can say, okay, they've outgrown their current technology. Let me find out more about why. How long have they recognized this? What have they done to try to solve it? What if they don't fix it in the future? What's the domino effect on their business? Let me see how far they've thought this through. That's shifting your thinking and just learning how to detach from a conversational line item that you might define as good or a line item that you might define as bad. And as leaders, it's the same thing. You know, there are tons of tough conversations that leaders need to have learning how to detach from a response or detach from how a person's going to interact with you is key as a leader because you have to hold your objectivity. And so it takes a ton of practice, but the first thing you got to learn how to do is detach and recognize whatever the person just said to you as a leader, as a sales professional, as a husband, you know, as a father, as a mother, as a wife, whatever was just said doesn't mean anything yet. That's a key thing that we teach people how to do. Because if you think about it, you hear something negative or you hear something overly positive, but you want to maintain your neutrality to learn more about it. You have to remind yourself it doesn't mean anything yet. The yet is a key word. What the yet describes is a lack of permanence. It's a reminder to us deep inside. Yeah, I may not have liked what that person just said to me, but I also got to remember, it doesn't mean anything yet. Let me find out more about it. Let me find out what's really on their mind. What's behind all that? I think it's a very powerful starting point for all of us when we want to become better listeners, better leaders, better in sales, better as husbands, wives, fathers, you know, mothers, etc. So good. Dan, I'd love for you to challenge our audience right now in the topic of rewiring and A, rewiring ourselves as leaders, B, rewiring our people. What is that that main thing? What comes to mind? I think the first thing you have to do is learn to detach. Um, remind yourself in the heat of the moment, whatever is happening in the interaction that you're having doesn't mean anything yet. It will help calm you down. And the calmer you are, the more clarity you can think with. So that's number one. Number two, when you start to hear maybe alternative or conflicting voices in your head, like Brian did in our first example earlier, I think the best thing to do in that case is ask yourself a simple question. Okay, what are my options here? What are my alternatives? Asking yourself a question helps you debate what are your alternatives? Do I turn into what was just shared or do I not turn into what was just shared? What happens if I do one versus the other? And the other thing we always talk about is number three is distance yourself from the self-doubt you might be feeling. So when the self-doubt in a conversation kicks in, learn how to distance yourself from your self-doubt by just asking yourself a simple question. How is that going to help me right now? It's extremely powerful. I've done it many, many, many times. I do it every single day where if I, if I have a heated scenario, if something's coming at me and I feel some self-doubt, I'll sit back and I'll think to myself, okay, what are my alternatives? And if I don't do X, how is that going to help me? I think the last thing I might share, Nikki, real quick is it's an exercise I've been doing recently that's been very helpful for the past six months. 
I think right now, when people um, have events that are so uncertain in their lives and there's unique circumstances going on in our lives, we tend to have a little bit more self-doubt. I think being cognizant of it by writing down every day, not what you can't do, but maybe becoming more specific and writing down what you can do and journaling it. You know, there's a lot of top athletes, a lot of extreme sports enthusiasts, a lot of high performers in many fields. They all journal. And what they journal is they, they journal a reminder to themselves about A, what they're grateful for and B, what they're capable of doing. So I think that's how I would kind of leave it with your listeners as ways that they can improve their interactions, improve overcoming their self-doubt and give themselves that little edge on taking that next leap forward. Really, really solid episode. I really appreciate it. Thank you for the gift of what you shared because I will be bringing up so many of these things in just my normal everyday conversations with people. It's it's incredible. We're going to take a quick break here from our sponsor message today, and then we're going to come back to our lightning round where we'll get to learn just a little bit more about you. We'll be right back. As we transition into the new normal at work, it is imperative to start thinking about creating a safer work environment for employees. And for businesses that use time clocks, Ascensus is helping make the transition easier with its launch of CarePoint, a completely touchless time clock experience with features like temperature checks and other configurable symptom prompts, voice command capabilities, and Bluetooth beacon technology to track employees' locations and eliminate the need for cards to interact with time clocks. To learn about how our partner Ascentis helps with CarePoint so you can create a safer environment for your workforce, you can visit www.ascentis.com forward slash CarePoint. All right, we're back on Gut Plus Science with Dan Lappin. Great episode today. Dan, we've got just a couple questions for you. What is your favorite book of all time or a favorite recent read? The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. How about a favorite vacation spot? It would have to be between the coast of Maine. I grew up in northern Massachusetts. I love the coast of Maine. Um, And it might also have to include the area outside of Park City with the mountains and all of that. Love that area as well. What about a favorite hobby when you're not working? I love working out. Uh, I enjoy meditating. It's something I picked up in the past year. I actually spent a week studying with a Tibetan monk. (laughs) So I I do enjoy the meditation. I do enjoy working out, travel, writing, playing golf. Got quite a few hobbies. And Dan, how can our listeners connect with you after the show today? They could easily connect with me on LinkedIn, Dan Lappin on LinkedIn. They can go to Lapin 180, uh, L-A-P-P-I-N 180, Lapin 180 on LinkedIn. We also have a podcast that they're welcome to listen to called Breaking Sales. It's pretty much how to stop selling and how to change the experience that your prospects have each and every day with your competitors and help you have a different experience with your prospects. They could also go to our website, which has videos and a listing of all our upcoming workshops and webinars, and that's lapa180.com. All right, great episode with Dan Lappin. There's a lot of truth you can act on, and I'm going to summarize it into four points. Number one, what are your internal self-limitations? We all have them. Awareness of them is the first step to overcoming. Number two, what are your superpowers? Know them. Embrace them. Work on belief in you. Get rid of the assumptions and negative thoughts that hold you back from fully utilizing your superpowers. Number three, 
uncomfortable questions are a powerful technique to get to the real deal issues. As a leader, get good at asking those uncomfortable questions to your people and have a coach that does the same thing for you as well. And number four, help your people see the blind spots that they have on their own. You just lead them to it. We'll see you next week on Gut Plus Science. We just left the world a little bit better. Now go do something with it.